1895, the state of Ohio had only two automobiles. And wouldn't you know it, they collided. <laughs> so, <laughs> who knows what kind of collision we're going to have in the days ahead. If you dare vote for a decree that God finds abominable and murderous, you will answer to him. God's curse is upon you. How dare you? How dare you? defy him. Strange women lying in ponds, distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. When is the time for justice? The time is now. I'm tired of waiting for incremental solutions that never make any increments and never bring solutions. So when is the time for justice? It's now. I said to every sinner, God broke the law for love. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. If the court in a nation is the highest authority, then you've found a God. If the people are the highest authority, then you've found another God. If, if there's no transcendent law governing over this nation or any other nation, then you've found another God. It's never too early to learn that the government is a greedy piglet that suckles on a taxpayer's teat until they have sore, chapped nipples. Take the guns first, go through due process second. Please clap. Just as the church has an obligation to be Christian, just as the family has an obligation to be Christian, just so the school has an obligation to be Christian, and the state, and your calling, and the school, every area of life must recognize Christ as Lord and Savior. Welcome to Cross and Crown Radio, an unapologetically Christian reconstructionist talk show for your edification and your enjoyment. Jesus is king, no neutrality, no exile, and no surrender. Gentlemen, we're back. We are back. <laughs> I'm your host, Jason Garwood. With me are my brothers, co-laborers. Guys, I love you. Oh shucks, we love you too, Pastor. It's a pleasure to do this with you. I have Jordan right across Yo, from me. What's going on? I can't believe there's a second episode. It's we made two. it. It's number two. It's exciting. <laughs> now it's a series. And with me over here to my left is John Reisner. Howdy, howdy! First ever episode two. It is a pleasure to have you all with us again. We are excited about Crossing Crown Radio. Um, man, we have a lot to talk about today. But first, you guys doing all right? How was your week? Ah. You know, my week was great, but I heard that you had an interesting interaction <laughs> at uh, George Mason University. You want to tell us about that? Oh. And I think it involved a safe space counselor. Uh oh, you know I, how they like to come around when you when you're around at George Mason. Yes, I've never experienced that before. Frankly, <laughs> I didn't say much during the interaction. Actually, we posted the video of it over on the Cross and Crown Church Facebook page. And um, yeah, I had a young man. His name's Richard. You need to pray for him. Um, but we had a great discussion about abortion. He about, seemed to mellow out a little bit throughout the discussion. I think so. Yeah. It was a great conversation, though. I, I'm really happy. The gospel was preached. He was challenged. His worldview, as far as I can do in my own human wisdom, you know, dismantle it. Um, 
but yeah, this gentleman came up and, and said, you know, Oh, it was, do you, do you, ha- you know, you know, you don't have to be here, right? Well, the funny part was he just sort of saddled up quietly and just blatantly interrupted what was going on. Just like a very good discussion. And he sort of just saddles up quietly and he says, you know, you, you don't have to continue talking if you don't want to. I just want to make sure that you know that. And, uh, let, he, the guy's like, uh, okay, all right. And yeah. he just like goes and his, off. What and a his hero. Respo- <laughs> and his response was, he asked the question, well, why are you doing this? He's like, well, I'm bored. Yeah. Uh, you know, civil discourse, you only have that when you're bored, apparently. You know, e- even though obviously they're going to strongly disagree with what you're saying, where was where's that whole like old school collegiate tradition of protest? Yes. You know, it seems like that's really yeah. not there unless... People are just saying, don't be here, don't talk. Well, and nowadays, honestly, the university has become less and less about those types of discussions. It's more and more of just droning on. Obviously, we have students walking around with, you know, thousands of dollars of debt. They're all depressed, frankly. You look at them. Right. They're not even protesting causes so much as just people talking about ideas. Yes. I was like, you know, even if they're protesting things that I would not protest, I'm like, oh, you know, at least they have a kind of a compassion or a backbone to stand up and go do something. But they're not even doing that. They're just no. protesting speakers. Yes. And you and, and really like we're not standing there. The few of us, we have our signs and, you know, we try to engage in conversation, but we're not there just lambasting them with right. rhetoric. And oh, there's been some great conversations. Yeah. It was just so funny. That guy, after he finished talking to you, he just had this look on his face like he had accomplished something. And I was just thinking, not all heroes wear capes, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, he didn't accomplish much. Um, but he heard about Jesus. He heard his sins can be forgiven. And I pray that he turns in repentance. Amen. But, so a lot yeah. of times you don't see the fruit of those sort of interactions. No. Ever. You know. So what do we got on today? Boy. Look, we're in Virginia. We're oh, in more than Northern Virginia area, and it's getting heated. It's up here or down right here, now. depending on your position. Yeah, it's it's getting it's getting out of control. We have a whole lot to discuss today on the show. A whole lot of things to cover, and really, at first, you unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably seen these videos go viral. There's been tons of conversations, especially on the heels of the New York uh, late term law that right. was passed. And here we go again. The state of Virginia has already got this nonsense going on. We have in our own backyard a a delegate by the name of Kathy Tran. She's a Democrat. So let's just we'll we'll, we'll keep that in mind. And she introduced a bill that sought to basically remove some restrictions around late term abortion. And we want to play that for you so you can you can hear this conversation. How late in the third trimester would you be able to do, to do that? You know, I'm, it's very unfortunate that our, the, our physicians, uh, our witnesses, were not able to attend today to speak specifically. No, no I'm talking that. about your bill. How, yeah, how late? I mean, how late in the third trimester could a, a physician perform an abortion if he indicated it would impair the mental health of the of the woman? Or physical health. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm um, talking about the mental health. So I mean, through the third trimester. The third trimester goes all the way up to 40 weeks. Okay, but to the end of the third trimester. Yep, I don't think we have a limit in the bill. So, um, where it's obvious that a woman is about to give birth, she has physical signs of, of, that she is about to give a birth, would that still be a point at which she could request an abortion if she was so certified? She's dilating. 
Uh, Mr. Chairman, that would be a, you know, a decision that the doctor, the physician, and the woman would I understand would make that. that. I'm asking point. if your bill allows that. My bill would allow that, yes. Wow, that, that says a lot. She's flustered, clearly. Doesn't want to answer the questions. Yeah, not interested. She's embarrassed. Um, she almost seems like she's not even prepared because there's this lack of direct answers. Oh, yeah. She, I, I think that's in the bill. I think, I think that's what it allows. Well, we're talking about life and death. Can you know what's in your bill? Yeah, you would think. You know? It's, it's like uh, Rand Paul and some of these guys in Congress at the federal level who, even like his father, Ron Paul, would constantly vote no on things. Uh, men like Justin Amash and, and um, Massey and even Ben Sass. These guys are voting no. And people are saying, well, why are you voting no? Because we've read the bill. Yeah. They're right. actually reading the bill. They, they see what it is and it's garbage. It was just shocking. I mean, it's, it's, it's always shocking to hear this kind of stuff, even though you know this is actually the current policy anyways, these sorts of bills. But just to hear the question, uh, you know, yeah, dilation. Uh, yes, the the bill would allow that. You know, do you think maybe maybe from listening to this and she might be almost embarrassed by her own bill, like a little bit of the image of God, a little bit of like the suppression of righteousness within her being is coming forward and is ashamed of what yeah. she's saying. I think it's she undeniable. doesn't want to say it plainly. It's undeniable. There was that long pause after she was asked the question. She goes on to to give a distracting answer, not answering the question directly. She is embarrassed about her own values because the image of God is written on her and she knows this is evil at some level. She knows this. And I right. think that came across very That's clearly. That's the suppression of truth and unrighteousness right yeah. there. And I yeah. think we're going to talk about that today. A little bit. Yeah. And the other thing I was just thinking of in regards to that is, is they, they have to actually say it out loud because mm -hmm. it's on paper, but to say it out loud and then to maybe hopefully hear the insanity of it all, we shall see. One but, thing that wasn't on the clip, she mentioned afterward that she was a little bit surprised by that line of questioning. I mean, what about that line of questioning is surprising? That's kind of the questions you'd want to know, right? That's, that's what the you're... basic content of the bill. Yeah. yeah. What? <laughs> and, and, and afterwards, she went out and claimed that her words were being taken out of context and that they were being spun. Uh, I heard those words in its totality right there. And I mean, she said what she said. There's, yeah. there's no spinning it. So. No. And it's, that's always the excuse. Oh, they're taking it out of context. I mean, we're, not, we're talking about basic things like two plus two equals four. Right. This isn't a complex, complex you know, calculus exam. And this is what people do all the time whenever they want to wiggle out from under their own words. They just claim that they're being slandered and they never expl actually explain how they're being slandered. Yeah. Yeah. They don't ever, ever explain what they really meant. They just say, oh, I'm being slandered. <laughs> yeah. right. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, no, you're not. It's, no, that's what you said. We We're, can read, actually, and no, your bill actually does say that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that video went viral, and a lot of people are already talking about um, abortion, late-term abortion because mm -hmm. of New York, mm -hmm. and uh, then this video surfaces um, just a few days ago, and then after that, our governor... Ralph Northam. Ralph Northam. He is a Democrat as well. He goes on a radio show to basically respond to this. And clearly you're going to hear him speak out of both sides of his mouth, you know, basically saying he supports the bill. He wants some restrictions. But we're talking third trimester abortion. Here's what he had to say about it. 
There was a very contentious committee hearing yesterday when Fairfax County Delegate Kathy Tran made her case for lifting restrictions on third trimester abortions as well as other restrictions now in place. And she was pressed by a Republican delegate about whether her bill would permit an abortion even as a woman is essentially dilating, ready to give birth. And she answered that it would permit an abortion at that stage of labor. Do you support her measure and, and explain her answer. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I wasn't there, uh, Julie, and I, I certainly can't speak for uh, Delegate Tran, but um, I would tell you one uh, first thing I would say is this is why decisions such as this should be made by providers, uh, physicians, uh, and uh, the uh, mothers uh, and fathers that, that are involved. Um, there are, you know, when we talk about third trimester uh, abortions, these are done. Uh, with the consent uh, of obviously the the mother, with the consent uh, of the physicians, more than one physician, by the way. Um, And it's done in cases where there may be severe deformities, there may be a a fetus that's non-viable. So in this particular example, uh, if a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly uh, what would happen. Um, The infant would be delivered. Uh, the infant would be kept comfortable. Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. So, so I think this was really blown out of proportion. Uh, but again, we want the government not to be involved in these types of decisions. We want the decision to be made by uh, the, the mothers and their providers. And, and this is why Julie, that legislators, most of whom are men, by the way, shouldn't be telling a woman what she should and shouldn't be doing with her body. Well, that was uh, a a very interesting clip from Governor Northam. Yeah, you see how he really does not answer the question. The question was, do you affirm the bill? And yeah, sort of, but what we really need to recognize, and he goes into this long spiel about whether the baby should be resuscitated. We're not quite sure exactly what he's talking about, except that we're talking about an infant who has been delivered and is lying there on the table, and they're trying to determine whether or not they're going to let this baby suffocate to death or not. And have, have a discussion once the baby has already been born. Yeah. Now, now abortion obviously is murder. This is not any more murder because right. the baby is alive. But my goodness, like the callousness, callousness that is required to get to this point. Does he even know what he's saying? It's so brazen. I don't, I don't think he really does. And then to sort of play on the guise of, well, we, we would have multiple physicians having the discussion and it's yeah. all the same stuff. We're going to get to that, I think, Jordan, a little bit later about the pro-choice arguments. But the same stuff all the time. Well, the doctors, we need to leave them in charge of it. And what does this have to do with just men legislating? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't uh, help me understand why <laughs> that's, that's the thing we should be thinking about here. <laughs> Apparently, you have to be a woman in order to know anything about justice or biology or laws or anything of that nature. Of course, it's fine for women to have their ideas and their thoughts on this, but that doesn't change God's law word. Right, that yeah. doesn't change the facts that you're dealing with a living um, 
unique human being created in the image of God being butchered, whether it is a born image bearer of God or a pre-born image bearer of God. In this case, we're even talking about a born image bearer of God. My goodness. Yeah. This is moving beyond abortion into just plain old infanticide. Yeah. Can someone tell me what the purposes of keeping the baby comfortable is if... It's if we're not talking about a live baby who's been delivered. Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. Injecting it with drugs afterwards to end its life. That's not comfortable. Yeah. No. How about we save the baby? How about we care for it? Like, yeah. Why are we even discussing this? Well, there's no beauty in this either. There's no appreciation and value um, for human life. I mean, that's the argument I made with that, that young student at uh, GMU. What happens with this? This child isn't wanted. What do you do? Well, there's beauty in it. There's beauty in in childbirth. I watched all three of my kids be born, right? And that's a miraculous thing beyond description. And so there's beauty there. There's um, a preciousness, something that you can't just arbitrarily you know, decide to take off the table because and you're uncomfortable. Absolutely. And Governor Northam brings up the point that the baby, you know, is going to be kept comfortable. And also he's talking about babies with deformities or non-viable babies. Well, you know, you, you still care for babies with deformities too. You know, you, you still just, oh, they have a deformity. Well, just let them die then. Like yeah. there are, how many people are alive today who had serious deformities as an infant and they fought like, crazy to keep this baby alive and now they're fine now they're thriving tell that that now adult you should be dead because you had a deformity or it should have been legal for someone to just kill you because you had a deformity are you kidding me yeah it's almost like we're gonna get our idea of value the value of human life through this sort of experiential metrics Mm -hmm. uh to the point where even the comfort of the of the child has a little bit of limited value but the fact that it's a child that doesn't have value Exactly. And then, you know, what's interesting now, and this is sort of later breaking news, but now Governor Northam is being basically having it brought up that in his college days, when he was 25 at college, he in his college yearbook had a a picture of him in a uh, Ku Klux Klan outfit and in blackface or one or the other. Yes. And so this has just come up. This is incredible. What's going on in Virginia right now. So he's in this huge, you know, fire over this issue of infanticide and late term abortion and all this kind of stuff. He's doubling down. He's saying, oh, no, I'm being taken out of context and I'm I'm here and I meant what I said. And I'm and he's not he's doubling down. He's not backing up. But then this this out of nowhere supposedly this old you know from the college days yearbook picture comes up and now all the democrat uh, you know presidential candidates other democrat leaders are calling for his immediate resignation wow over, i'm shocked by that they're calling for his immediate resignation over this yearbook video which by or photo which by the way i agree with that's fine he deserves what he's getting just for this picture alone oh sure um all the governors should resign but you know (laughs) yeah Yeah, i have no problem with him having to resign over this but it's just interesting it wasn't enough that he was talking about not saving a child who has a chance to live lying there on the table that was not enough to cause him to resign yeah right to have to resign a a yearbook And, and we're not quite sure if he's totally going to but it looks like it could be going that way so you're telling me the the man that dehumanizes image bearers of God enough where you can slaughter a born child on the table is also very likely racist. 
I think it, it's just, almost like he's just generally doesn't care about the image bearers of God. You're not allowed to tie those two things together. That's going to trigger a lot of people. I don't know. <laughs> Feels like he dehumanizes one group. He dehumanizes another group. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like the yeah. slippery slope. But, argument but actually you're saying is this thing. is like a yearbook picture. I mean, you know, yeah. let, let's just let boys be boys, right? Isn't that what we say? Yeah, it was the 80s. Yeah, yeah, it just let it me, go, guys. Well, the whole well, the, the kerfuffle go. surrounding um, Kavanaugh. Right. And um, the other guy's name slips my mind now all of a sudden. Obviously, but, we all are in favor of due diligence and finding out the truth in these sort of matters. I wonder how many Republicans are going to stand up for this governor and say, we need two or more witnesses on this. Or are they going to be clamoring for his resignation based yeah. on an old racist picture? I don't picture know. They're pretty opportunist. I think that they're going to... I think they're going to jump all they're over gonna jump it. All are you over saying it. it might be more politics and ethics? <laughs> no, I would never say such I a thing. I don't know. <laughs> well, then what's the, the Cory Booker man? He's... Oh, running goodness. for president and he's already been indicted as far as I, if I recall correctly, even a lot of liberals think he's just downright corrupt. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all bizarre. Uh, all this stuff with politics and like you said, with the ethics of it all, I guess really the question is before we, we jump to a break in just a little bit, I want to know, especially John, we really need to get some things straight. If we are going to combat infanticide, if we're, I mean, we already acknowledge that this has still been a problem just because we're talking about third trimester abortions. It doesn't mean all of a sudden, Oh, we have a problem now. Maybe we should wake up and deal with it. This has been a problem for 46 years. So, but we need to know how to fight it. We need to come up with a strategy. We need to figure out a way to uh, dismantle these worldviews, to take those thoughts captive, to destroy these vain speculations, quoting Paul, (laughs) What do we do with that? How do we, why, in other words, just to set this up for you, do, why, why should we be abolitionists? Why does it matter that we're abolitionists and not pro-life? Okay, well, that's a great question. The reason why we should be abolitionists is because abolitionism is the orthodox Christian response to injustice in society, whether it's abortion uh, or fill in the blank, any other injustice. You could even name things like racism or genocide, um, you know, we can go on and on. But in today's society, our Holocaust is abortion. Mm-hmm. So we're so we're at least focusing to to a degree on abortion. So what it makes abolitionism so much different than pro-lifeism? One thing that is oftentimes confused is that people think abolitionism is just a more radical, more um, uh, kind of in-your-face pro-lifeism, but that's not the case at all. That's not the case at all. Um, Abolitionism has five tenets, and the first is that it's biblical and theological. Right off the bat, we're talking about a lot more than just we are for saving babies. We're talking about this is a Christian doctrine. This is a Christian doctrine. It's not a secular, humanistic philosophy, and it's based on a couple different theological tenets, the first being human beings are created in the image of God and reflect his image. Number two is that the creator himself the God-man Christ became a man to rescue humanity from sin, self-destruction, and death. So we have these core theological tenets that form the basis of abolitionism just starting off in the very first tenet. 
Uh, moving on real quick, because you know we can talk about abolitionism for a few hours. Yeah, right. uh, but to to kind of quickly go through it, abolitionism also is providential, which all that means is that we're not going to rely upon pragmatism. Abolitionism is optimistic. Uh, I'm not saying that every single abolitionist needs to be confessionally postmillennial, though you should be. Oh yeah, <laughs> another topic for another, another topic. <laughs> Dad right? postmill. Absolutely. Uh, however, the, the goal of abolitionism is actually the abolition of abortion, not just decreasing abortion or slowing down abortion. We are abolitionists of abortion, and therefore the goal is very much optimistic. It is very much looking towards the end goal as opposed to just pragmatically choosing methods along the way to slow down abortion. The third point is that it is gospel-centric which means you actually have to understand what the gospel is. Not a truncated gospel, but a fully orbed gospel of the kingdom, which is something we will talk about a lot on Cross and Crown Radio. Yes, we will. So I will, I will just move on from there, but it has to be gospel-centric, meaning that the abolition of abortion will come about in society because people honor God. Right. And not just because we change laws. We need to change the laws, but the people need to change as well. We're we're wanting to create a society in which abortion is unthinkable because of the spirit of God, not just that it's illegal because of laws. Uh, the fourth point is the obligation of the church. This is a controversial point. Yeah. <laughs> All this means is that the church, the bride of Christ, has an obligation before God to fight injustice. And this comes from Matthew 23, 23. Um, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. For these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Um, also verses like James 1, 27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And I can go on and on and on. Uh, it also uh, is is supported by the Westminster Confession. It's also supported by the Westminster Larger Catechism. Just the general idea that Christians are called by God to fight injustice. Right. And the question is, in today's society, what is the injustice that is most glaring, uh, not just most glaring, but also the most urgent? And, right. And, and besides just the most foundational rebellion against God, I would say it's the destruction of the image bearer of God, which is actually blasphemy against God which is abortion. And that is the obligation of the church. Very shortly, we have an obligation to fight injustices. It doesn't mean you have to put 100% of your time into abortion specifically, but you need to be very honest about your means and your resources and, and the giftings that God has given you and apply those uh, to this fight. Uh, lastly is immediatism. All this means is that we are not going to be compromisers and... Um, fight abortion through incremental changes. Uh, this is also, this could be its own episode, right. incrementalism. But to be very, very, very brief, it is perhaps one of the most precise and helpful ways of describing mediatism is that we are in favor of a no compromising strategy that doesn't accept any legal um, or rhetoric, any legal means or any kind of rhetoric that betrays our end goal. So I can't support a law that implies that it's okay to kill babies in my fight to abolish abortion. Right. So a good example would that be like a heartbeat bill that says uh, if the if the preborn child has a heartbeat, then you can't kill the baby. Right. That implies that you can kill the baby if there is no heartbeat. So even within the language itself, 
it implies the legitimacy of abortion. Right. Any decree or edict that goes out that I will only protect these people is at root an unrighteous decree. It is not a righteous decree. It's either righteous or unrighteous. Absolutely. Yeah. And and again, this could go on for some time, but immediatism is not just some sort of of a stiff-necked stubborn thing where we just want to be ideological but not practical. No, we actually are going to rely upon the providence of God and we believe that being faithful in how we present the gospel and how we present truth and how we fight abortion is actually going to be effective. Right. It will be effective, but it's also honoring to God because we're telling the truth about abortion, not just in our rhetoric, but also the kind of laws that we support. And if you have any doubt about that, it's been 46 years of incremental attempts at solving this problem and look what it's gotten us. So if you want to talk about expediency and pragmatism, uh, the current, you know, sort of strategy is, is not working. Isn't this also the, the year that Planned Parenthood has re- received the most funding from our federal government? Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. And, well, we're going to, we're going to deal with that. Definitely. We goodness. need to, because the pro-life movement is predicated on this assumption that we can just slowly get our way. Eventually we'll, we'll keep marching. We'll keep, yeah, we'll have a 40 year plan where, you know, instead of 90 million dying, we'll have 60 million more dying. And then you keep, you keep telling, (laughs) we we had to elect Trump because we needed conservative justices. We needed these things. And what did we get more funding for Planned Parenthood? Well, the reality is, we have a whole lot more we could say on that. So we need to take a quick break and uh, unpack some of those topics some more. Thank you, listeners, for chiming in and checking us out. We want to uh, point you to our Facebook page, Cross and Crown Radio. Give it a like. Give it a share if you feel so led. And uh, we will be right back in a minute. They were thotties. Used to smash them as hobbies, but I'm godly. No problem. I bring Yeshua to the hood. How many books do you know of that address topics of education and welfare, local government, state government, taxation, money and banking, free markets, courts, war and the military, and the executive power? How many books do you know actually talk about these topics from a biblical perspective and set forth all of the issues, ideas, the history, and the hurdles, and the blueprints for the way forward? Hi, I'm Joel McDermott with AmericanVision.org. In Restoring America One County at a Time, I cover all these topics and more showing you how America was once free, how those freedoms were lost, and giving you an uncompromising biblical approach to get those freedoms back. I focus on practical steps, local solutions, personal sacrifices, and it has a multi-generational vision. So don't just sit around talking about Restoring America. Actually do something. And you can start by getting my book, Restoring America One County at a Time, at AmericanVision.org. spent a little bit of time talking about abolitionism. We have talked about the insanity that is the Virginia Democrats right now um, here with some local happenings, but we really want to spend some time unpacking this. If we're going to take the principle of you can't beat something with nothing, what does that actually practically look like? Because none of us in this room are pro-life. 
correct? You guys aren't you can, you're not pro life. No, we've moved beyond being pro life. Okay, uh, we don't want to necessarily uh, condemn anyone who calls themselves pro life. Right. Uh, however, we are abolitionists of human abortion. We're not just pro life. We want to make a distinction. Because right. We do. Categories matter. Definitions right. matter. And we want to teach culture. We want to teach. Uh, the, the church these distinctions um, so that they can cease to be pro-life and actually be Christian and the Christian position would be abolitionism. Right. Cause we don't, we can't, <laughs> we have to get past the point where it's simply these characters that we've created uh, where, well, you're not pro-life. What are you? You must be pro-choice. Well, no, we have some definitions that we need to work with. So let's start there. What do you, what would you guys say? Are is it an appropriate definition for without straw manning? What does it mean to be pro-life? Well, to be pro-life uh, simply has meant uh, to be opposed to abortion, just in a very, very general, general sense. It doesn't have a direction. Uh, what I mean by that is abolitionism seeks the abolition of abortion. It's a very, very particular goal. Uh, being pro-life simply means that you are opposed to abortion, but it doesn't have necessarily the end goal of abolishing abortion altogether. And, and that can look like many different things. So there are pro-lifers who are going to be less compromising, and there's going to be pro-lifers who are far more compromising. But the unifying factor is that they don't have that, that end goal in mind, that gospel-centered, uh, optimistic, church-driven, uh, relying upon the providence of God, abolitionism factor, like looking to the end goal. So being pro-life is certainly not a bad thing. You should be opposed to abortion. However, you need to have a lot more of a robust, systematic vision for the defense of the pre-born, and, and, uh, as well as just the ending of in particular societal injustices. And uh, the answer to that would, of course, be abolitionism. Right, because it's we're dealing with more than just a political category. We're dealing with more than just marching for life once a year. We're dealing with a whole worldview, which frankly, as far as, as I can tell, the pro-life community doesn't have that. The national right to life, they aren't talking about this in terms of the gospel. They're not talking about it in terms of biblical theology. And they're definitely not talking about it in terms of immediatism. So that that's a problem right off the bat. So those are just know that those are some of the definitions that we're working with. Um, we're not here to, you know, condemn you like what you said. We think there's more though behind. There's more under the hood than just what meets the eye. Right. Exactly. You know, many pro-lifers are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, and they do a lot of hard work. And I don't want to condemn that. I don't want to drag them through the mud. Uh, however, whenever we speak to people about abolitionism and we talk to them about the five tenets of abolitionism. We talk about being focused and centered upon the, the, the gospel of the kingdom. And we talk about abortion very specifically as a gospel issue. And that's what I'm really talking about when I'm talking about abolitionism. It's not just a political position about being opposed to abortion. It is proclaiming that abortion is murder. And the answer to that is the gospel. Right. So having said that, because you don't have to convince me, brother. I know that. Uh, <laughs> I will start preaching about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a gospel issue. And that's just that's not us just coming up with a rhetoric to sort of diffuse this thing. Oh, it's a gospel issue. We see the gospel is a is a bigger thing, right? It's the gospel of the kingdom of God. There is an accompanying social order attached to the kingdom, because kings have kings and you know, 
uh, kingdoms. <laughs> Kings have kingdoms. That was a mouthful. Um, and, but with that, though, there are ethics, there are sanctions, there's a whole lot of stuff involved. So really sort of moving the conversation a little bit, Jordan, what is it? How do we do this? How do we how do we combat it? How do we how do we deal with it? What are the things we probably sh- you know should consider? Well, one of the things I wanted to hone in, to, in on is something that's going on right now in the national conversation as it's right now all about partial birth abortion and third trimester abortion. And that is where the line is being drawn. And I want to change that. We cannot fight the battle at the last degree, right at the moment of birth. We need to end partial birth. Of course we need to end partial birth abortion. Of course we need to end third trimester abortion. (laughs) If we draw the battle line there, that's all we're ever going to get, right? And so uh, what I want to do is with all the national attention right now on partial birth abortion and late-term abortion, it's absolutely imperative that we who want to protect the unborn, again, don't draw these lines this late in the fight. So what we want to do is we want to use this valuable time to talk about the abolition of all abortion from the moment of conception, not at the moment of dilation, Kathy Tran, right? Delegate Tran, not during labor, Governor Northrum. We don't, you know, we've got to fight this battle at conception or we lose because it just enables the Holocaust to continue and continue and continue. So what we're going to do now for our listeners is to address how in the world we got to this point in the national conversation. How do we get to the point where the lines of the battle have been pushed so far towards late-term abortion and so far away from a discussion about whether abortion should be legal from the moment of conception? And that's what we're arguing about. So Abortion. Let's let's talk about it. It's a controversial subject, right? Abortion. It's a little controversial. <laughs> a little controversial. I mean, what could be more controversial uh, in in the broader culture? Abortion, and specifically pointing out how stupid and I'm going to use that word intentionally. The arguments are for abortion being legal. How stupid they are. This issue is the most controversial thing you can talk about in our society today, especially with any degree of certitude and without, yeah, budding and endless backtracking. Um, I'll give you an example of how we how we know that this talking against abortion is the new taboo issue in our in our society. How many comedians do you see on any of the major networks? Um, how many comedians do you see doing a bit on how stupid pro-choice arguments are? You, they don't do that. No. It's, they can't do that. You, they wouldn't be allowed on the stage. The cameras wouldn't roll. It's just not what you're allowed to say. You're not getting invited to Conan O'Brien to make fun of stupid arguments for abortion. But there's a lot of material. <laughs> there's endless material. And of course, right? we don't want to make, make light of the issue at all. But it truly is easy to make fun of these pro-choice arguments. Yeah, absolutely. And you can make fun and all these shows, you can make fun of anything else. Any of the raunchiest thing you can make fun of, all these sort of taboo things, you can make fun of anything, but not abortion. And what we want to point out is the mainstream comedy scene, it sort of talks a big game, likes to act like it's out there and dangerous. It's all really carefully manicured. It's politically correct. It's a pandering clown show. And they may act like there's a lot of diversity out there, but they're all just really reading off the same tired script. And I want to bring up this point. If you remember, uh, in 1972, George Carlin, famous comedian, he went on TV and he said a bunch of curse words, okay? And his routine was called Seven Words You Can't Say on TV. And people were like, oh, you know, he dropped the F-bomb. What a pioneer. 
you know, he's so brave, yeah. so controversial. He really broke the mold. You know, now, now if you're alive, George Carlin would just be boring. He'd just be like, he'd just be molding, you know, melding in with everybody else, just preaching to the choir. Here we are in, in 2019, and the reality is that we are more censored than ever. Just that there's a new censorship. There's a new Taliban in charge of the words you can and can't say. There's a new list of words. And the crazy part is, why is abortion even controversial? Why is it taboo that even the comedy scene is afraid of it? And honestly, I don't know what's so controversial. I get there is a controversy, but it's not because there's any real rational or logical debate to be had about the issue. It's true. There isn't. Abortion is an easily discernible issue of morality. Right. It's really an ethical, low-hanging fruit. It's low-hanging yes. fruit. Uh, there's just a lot of very confused and lost people out there and people who are muddying the waters. I mean, how simple is it really? Finish the sentence. It should be legal to murder a baby when? Right. You know, abortion should be legal because dot, dot, dot. And what are the responses that are out there that we hear? They aren't rooted in any kind of rational thought. So what I want to do now is I want to actually address pro-choicers. I don't know that a single pro-choicer is going to listen to this, but I also want pro-lifers and other abolitionists to just think about this discussion as you go out there and as you're engaging with pro-choicers. And I want you to be engaging in these arguments head on, okay? So pro-choicers, if you're out there, I want you to hear me and please listen to reason, okay? I'm guessing you've probably heard a lot of different things about uh, you know, you've, you've been influenced to be pro-choice and, and as fellow image bearers of God with you, I want to talk to you human to human. Okay. I want to admit to you that in my life I've believed and repeated things that I, that I now believe to be absolutely stupid. I'm glad someone came to me to point out the reasons why I believe that what I was saying was stupid. We all have the propensity to believe foolish things, especially if it's an emotional issue and there's emotions tied to it. And there certainly is in this discussion. So what's the first thing that we always hear from the pro-choice side? My body, my choice. Literally just heard that at George Mason <laughs> University. Right. That's what they say. It's a woman's right to choose. My body, my choice. So pro-choicers, let's get something straight. No one, whether pro-choice or pro-life or abolitionist in our case, believes that women should be allowed to do whatever they want with their own bodies. Right. I mean, think about it. Some things are legal for us to choose to do with our bodies. Some things are illegal. That's a good thing. You can't just walk down the street and choose to start using your hands to choke people to death, right? You can't just choose to start stealing people's wallets or trip blind kids, right? And then claim, oh, my body, my choice. I get to do what I want with my body, right? Yeah. No, you don't. First, it has to be determined whether you're using your body to harm another person, Yeah. right? And so, I mean, do pro-choicers think that we're saying that women shouldn't be allowed to go to a restaurant and choose between a chicken salad and a vegetable salad, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> clearly what we're saying. Very much in favor of that choice. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I, I am pro-choice when it comes to a women's menu decisions or anyone's menu decision, right? Unless her choice is to intentionally not order a dessert just so that she can have a little bite of my chocolate cake, then I am anti-choice. Well, there you okay? go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. But seriously, we are talking about whether there is a human life inside of a woman's body and whether it's okay to end that life. And and on that, nobody wants to talk about what a man does with his body. What do we? What do we? Oh, I'm about to get there. Uh, okay, I'm about to I don't want to jump the gun, but well, no, because if there is an actual human being living inside your body. 
then that body is not your body. And scientifically, that is just unquestionable. Yeah, that's not a debate. It's unquestionable. There are the most pro-choice people out there who are actually medical experts mm-hmm. uh, who will admit that right off the front. And these people hate God. Yep. They're pro-murder. Yep. But they will tell you, it is a human being. It is living. It is growing. It is a unique human being. Yep. But then they'll be in favor of killing it. Yep. You have one DNA structure as a human being at the moment of conception a baby has their own DNA structure. Yeah. You know, so you, you, you never have two heartbeats or two hearts, right? you the body inside your body is not your body. You can't intentionally murder it. You aren't God. You don't get to decide to end that life. So if you're a woman, go ahead and do whatever you want with your body. Medically speaking, go, go wild, get a knee replacement, get your appendix removed, get liposuction, whatever you want to do. But when it comes to someone else's body, yeah, you aren't allowed to murder and use the justification. Well, you know, because it's living inside my body. Yeah. Now, some will say, you know, but it's not human. It's what's the what's the, what do we hear? It's a clump of clump of cells. It's a clump of cells, right? Ah, uh, okay. And they've been told, they've been fed this this lie of the clump of cells, and it's sort of like a phase that or a phrase that's just a meaningless slogan. So, but so what? You're a clump of cells. Can I kill you, Jason? You're, we're all clumps of cells. Right, exactly. Right? And, and they're missing the extremely important distinction. Are you talking about a, a fully formed human organism yes. or just human matter that has human DNA, like uh, flakes of skin cells and hair follicles? Well, it, right. Isn't this where the discussion has gone, though? We have moved. You think of the Enlightenment period and this embracing of science and th- this you know, anti-God rationalism and skepticism and all these things sort of piled up. And now modernity's over. We're in a postmodern society. What does that mean? Well, that means we don't even care about science anymore. We have um, mm-hmm. literally on the campus of George mm-hmm. Mason talking to the students, we don't, we don't have science discussions anymore. It's what I want to do. It's, it's what I feel. It's what I it's emote. all relativism. So objectivity is thrown out the window and we've embraced full-on subjectivism. Right. And then and then right after that, you know, you'll hear you. Oh, you don't get it. Like John was alluding to the clump, the clump of cells living inside the mother isn't at the same stage of development as a newborn infant. So it's a totally different scenario. But so, it's like, so what? Uh, Three year old girls don't have a, a, a developed reproductive system and, and the same one that a 20 year old woman might have. And are you saying that we can kill all the three year old girls now for being less developed than the 20 year old girls? Right. right exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it just you don't get the, the underdeveloped clump. And this is what they'll say. They'll say the underdeveloped clump of cells living in the mother is dependent on the mother's body for its life. It's like a parasite. So that's the reason. Right. I grant you that. I grant you that. But no, but it's dependent on the mother. It's like a parasite that. So what? Again, we have to ask. So what? A one year old child is dependent on their parents using their bodies to care for them. If they don't and they're recklessly negligent at the, and the child dies because of that, uh, they're going to be thrown in prison for reckless child endangerment, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, if there's an actual parasite living in your body, feel free to get an abortion for an actual parasite living in your body. Right. The word parasite actually means something yes, and you yes. can't just use it flippantly yes. whenever you want to get into a debate. You no, know, you can't change it just to an adjective. At parasitic, yes. it can. Something can act parasitic, right? Uh, you know young children do this okay yeah. uh, that are outside the womb okay they but that on they our are, wallets maybe but but are they actual parasites no right yeah poisoning the well right away that's what they're doing yeah if rule of thumb if there's a human being in your body then don't murder it you're not god all right yeah. so so that's it so 
that's pretty much it in terms of sort of the substance and we can get into some diversionary things that they'll say but in terms of like the substance that's pretty much it if we if we stop treating the birth canal as some you know magical unicorn passageway that turns a clump of cells into a human it's really not that difficult a, a moral matter it or or even a scientific matter to address right. so so from there we get into a bunch of these weird and irrelevant diversions which actually dominate the discourse and the public yeah. discourse so you'll you all have been recognized this so pro-choicers will hear these arguments which either are just pure meaningless slogans or are distractions so here's an example i just think we need to trust women yeah right as a means of saying we need to keep abortion legal in all in all circumstances they mean they, they mean trust pro-choice women. Right, yeah, exactly. they know what to do we need to rely on them to discern that which is right. good and because who could have a problem with trusting women, right? But just stop and think about it for half a minute. You know, no one trusts any category of people as a category, whether it's all men, whether it's all women. Imagine telling your wife, Jason, you went up to a random woman in the mall and you asked her to babysit your kids for, for a week while you and, and Mary went on vacation, yeah. right? You know, and you're explaining it to Mary. Well, well, honey, she's a woman, so I trust her, right? <laughs> That's all the requirement that I need. No, don't need to hear her history. Don't need to know if she's currently on parole. Don't need any references. Nope, she's a woman, and I trust women. She yeah. qualifies. Like, yeah. this is not a sophisticated argument, okay? <laughs> this is, uh, but it dominates the conversation. Right, it's definitely in the category of hollow slogan. <laughs> right, <laughs> yes. Sloganeering. To be blunt, it's stupid. To use yeah. this argument in, in defense of keeping abortion, like, it is stupid. And I don't mean that in the pejorative sense. I mean, it's describing this this thought process okay um there's really no other word for it i mean if we're doing back to george Irrational. george carlin might have a different word yeah, for yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> but last time i checked women still have to uh qualify for loans based on their credit score and men too you know yeah. some of you had mentioned what about trust men yeah why don't we trust can you imagine a boardroom discussion at like a credit union or a, a mortgage bank well mr chairman we've decided to lift all the credit score requirements for this man to qualify for this half a million dollar mortgage no he's never had a job or any steady income yes he's defaulted several times on his netflix subscription and yes he has had a car repossessed in each of the past four years but he is a man and we trust men release the loan hashtag trust men <laughs> trust men and and let's let's trust him to do what is right with his body if he decides to rape a woman, oh no! Trust him. Oh, no. Just trust him. It's fine, <laughs> and and it's his body. Absolutely, it's his choice. And so this is insanity. Um, you know, I trust women. I trust men. But at the moment, a woman decides she wants to end the life of another human being who has done nothing wrong but exist. No, I don't trust that specific woman. No, I don't trust that deadbeat husband or the boyfriend who gives the seal of approval. And no, I don't trust the doctor who agrees to kill the baby either. Right, okay. exactly. So so doctors, right? That's that's another line we get. Oh, I just think that a woman and her medical decisions should be between her and her doctor. You that's know, what back the governor said. Back to the robotic argument, you yeah. know, keep the government out of private medical decisions. But sorry, the term medical decision, it's not like a get out of jail free card. You, you, you know, you and a doctor don't just to get... Uh, aren't allowed to just get together and decide to kill a human being. The, free, the phrase medical decision doesn't just magically make it okay. So try to apply that logic to anything else in life. You know, I believe the investment strategies are between an investor and their investment advisor. That doesn't mean it should be legal for the investor and the advisor to get together and defraud grandma of her retirement accounts. 
What are you going to tell the IRS and the SEC? Don't worry. This was a private financial decision between the investor and the advisor. We should leave it up to investors and financial prof- uh, professionals. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that'll work. <laughs> yeah, they're right? the professionals. They can do it. But people believe this stuff. They, they take this stuff, and this is what they're sort of standing on. Let's do another one. What's the one over here? But if we make abortions illegal... They will just happen anyways in back alleys with coat hangers. And this is, again, not pejoratively, this is a stupid argument. When did we make things legal or illegal based on people's guesses on this kind of stuff? If it's murder, let's make it illegal. What are we going to say? Murders will still happen if we make it illegal, but it'll just be in back alleys? Right. That's where murder is supposed to happen. Yeah. Right? We're, what are we going to open up 10,000 murder clinics around the country so people can conduct safe murders, quote unquote, out in the open? Safe for who? For yes. the murderer. Safe and clean murder. Yes. And, and, and that's not even what we're saying as abolitionists anyway. Right. Uh, yes, we do want to make murder illegal across the board without exceptions. Mm-hmm. However, we're talking about actually spreading the gospel of the kingdom to all people mm-hmm. to the point where there's not going to be that demand for abortion. Absolutely. And of course, changing the laws is part of that. Yeah. Uh, just as if, just as in God's law, one of the uses of the law is to actually restrict sin. Uh, our laws should reflect that and should be used to restrict sin because of the fear of the, the, the sword of the magistrate. Mm-hmm. However, we're talking about a gospel, gospel-centered movement that actually changes hearts and not just laws. Amen. And in the meantime, <laughs> you know, as we're fighting the Great Commission, as we're, you know, the sword of the spirit is going out and the gospel of the kingdom is coming, you know, we're also supposed to speak, supposed to speak up on behalf of the the weak and the, those who are being carried off to slaughter. And so as an abolitionist, you don't just give up like arguing for laws now. I mean, not that anyone was implying that, but um, the point is that it's a both and. You're calling for the abolition on the um, based on the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that compels you to speak up for the unborn now. Yeah, right, exactly. And, and just from a completely different angle, there's actually really no statistical evidence of widespread what they would call like back alley coat hanger abortions. That's largely a myth. Of course, yeah. that kind of thing did happen to a very limited degree. Sure, uh, but it. There's this myth, per, pep, pep, uh, there's Perpetuated. this myth, <laughs> goodness, uh, I've had a half a beer, my goodness. <laughs> no more fat tires for you. Uh, but there's this myth saying that there's all of these back alley coat hanger abortions and uh, pro-choice uh, men and women are getting little coat hanger abortions, mm-hmm. uh, not coat mm-hmm. hanger abortions, but coat hangers tattooed to themselves. And there's this coat hanger movement of sorts, but it's a myth. Uh, there's yeah. really no actual statistical evidence to show that this is something that was very common at all. Yeah. Uh, Further, just as you were saying, Jordan, how people are going to respond to just laws shouldn't be how we determine whether or not we're going to have just laws. That's not the question. Right. Exactly. What's the question is, is this a just law in the first place? Absolutely. And I'm going to talk about one now that Jason heard at George Mason uh, there was a young man, and he was talking about the fact that people might grow up and be poor. This this child in the womb might grow up, and he might be on welfare. They might have a hard time getting placed in a good family. You know, they might have a tough life. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, I, I wish I could tell you how many people I knew and I know who grew up in poverty, you know, living in trailers, parents on drugs, 
Now they're grown and they're happy to be alive. You know, they have kids of their own. They're living a vibrant life. Like, what are you, Nostradamus? You think you can predict their future? And then if, if you think they're going to be poor, you can just execute them? What Seriously, what are you, Joseph Stalin? Like, you're not God. Yeah. You don't get to make those determinations. Absolutely, Jordan. And we live in a society where parents aren't even wanting to give their children a gender as if that's their choice. They don't even want to raise children as a male or a female. Yeah, but, a good point. <laughs> and they're like, we want to make sure the kids have that choice. Yeah. But they're taking the choice to live away from the child for right. crying out loud. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's and, an act of omniscience, and that's what I tried to convince the young man you about. You did mention that was terrific. Yeah, because it's a false omniscience. It's this claim to be able to see and you know, the minority report, sort of like <laughs> yeah. pre-crime unit. We got a false report. Yeah, this kid, man, odds are he's going to be addicted to crack, so we need to take him off the streets. Like that's by, literally the argument. It is. Uh, he's probably going to be a druggie, so we'll kill him. Yeah, yeah, as, like, if, as if you know that. Again, it's not sophisticated. It's not based on any rational, logical, you know. Yeah, circumstantial. Well, it, it, it's getting uh, the, the idea of integrity and value from experience again. Mm. It's completely mm-hmm. subjective. It's the same thing where people are talking about uh, transgenderism. Mm-hmm. Say, I'm going to identify as a, a man or a woman or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, just whatever they're going to make up in this particular day. And it's the same exact thing. It was like Their view of reality is coming from their experiences and their feelings and their mm-hmm. subjectivity. Mm-hmm. And this is this can kind of get, mm-hmm. this can definitely get into the debate and it's going to mm-hmm. be uh, perhaps a larger conversation, but whenever mm-hmm. we say human being, when as soon as we say being, we're introducing philosophy mm-hmm. to the discussion, not just biology, mm-hmm. or else we'd be just saying human organism. Yep. So that's one thing they will definitely argue is saying, no, no, it's human, but what does it mean to be a human being or a person? They make a distinction between person and then human, which is exactly kind of the distinction that slaveholders would make. Mm. Say, well, you can be human genetically because we all read Darwin. We're all knowing we're coming from the, you know, but we can also say you're not actually a fully developed person Mm -hmm. and you don't have the rights of a person. Well, it's interesting bringing that up, you know, um, Jean-Paul Sartre's famous book being in nothingness in his existentialism version uh, was, you know, existence precedes essence. And this whole philosophical system is topsy-turvy because now you have even the humanists not even going with the humanist version. Mm. <laughs> you, you know, um, you exist, and then from there you build on your own essence, you dictate your own things. For Sartre, he needed to ditch God, right? He needed to get rid of that. Um, but the whole premise is backwards. Existence precedes essence. Well, who says? Because now you are giving essence to those who don't have an existence. And then when there is an existence, you've just exterminated the essence that was not their choosing. Mm. So if you really want to be a consistent humanist, you have to um, not be opposed to abortion mm-hmm. and allow mm-hmm. that child to decide whenever the appropriate age is if he wants to end his own life. There you go. If you want to be consistent. Use humanism against humanism. But I realize consistency is in short supply. Well, the other thing is that at this point in the discussion, when the sort of the logical, rational debate is over, it becomes a moral discussion because you've been making it, if you're being faithful, you've been making a moral discussion and they'll try to throw it back at you. So they'll be say things like, uh, uh, how many uh, babies have you adopted? You know? Yeah. Like, how are you going to take out these people? You know, you talk a big game. Well, what are you going to do? Is that what they sound like? <laughs> uh, from my experience, okay. yeah, it's pretty I'm, close, I'm, actually. I'm, under, yeah. I'm underselling it. Right. Okay. I okay. completely <laughs> understand. Okay. But um, but seriously, uh, that argument, and by the way, the answer to that question, uh, abolitionists, is 
you know, who are you going to adopt? The answer to that question is yes. If somebody, do you know somebody who's thinking of murdering their child who's unborn? I will adopt that yes. child or I'll arrange to have that child placed in a good family. That's right. the answer. Yep. And then it's over. Done. Absolutely. And that should come from a genuine heart, by the way. That should be really what you feel. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just a slogan on yes. honor. It's, no. it's reality. Absolutely. Well, and, and we need yeah. to labor too alongside that. When we think of the law laboring for just laws, mm-hmm. we need to petition and get judges mm-hmm. who will detangle this whole thing from the state. Because if I want to adopt, now I'm out thousands and thousands of dollars. This is a huge process. But if you want to do the adoption, okay, let's just stand before a judge. That's right. Sign it off. Be done. Because then it's not. there's no, barely any money involved at that point. If a woman signs their child over to you, they're willing to give the birth of the baby, then there's very little cost comparatively yeah. involved. And so, you know, you, you call them on that and you answer the bell when that comes Which, up. Which, frankly, I... Probably the judge has no business in that in any way if you really want to talk yeah. God's law, but yeah. at least to acknowledge the adoption. Um, well, we're going to round out the arguments here with a classic. Uh, and this one is don't tell woman what to do until you grow a vagina. Just let that simmer for a second. <laughs> well, I'm a man, wow. you know, and I, I don't have a, a, a right to tell a woman what to do because mm. I'm a man, yeah. uh, you know. And sometimes pro-lifers, although it's sort of a, abolitionists too it's a sort of a similar uh, a silly argument we can kind of freeze up at that point like you know <laughs> but, oh i don't have a uterus but what do i but do it's now? really but really it's like it's it's such an easy answer because in logic if a woman cannot be called out by men for acts done by women that are or should be illegal then men cannot be called out by women for acts that are or should be illegal and you know how much uh, women rightfully call out men for all sorts of terrible things that men can do. Rape, right? Murder, theft, all kinds of things that they would rightly call out men to do, though they do not have a male organ. Right. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) And and of course, the pro-choicers aren't consistent at all because... Mm -hmm. All the while they're saying this sort of sloganeering, mm-hmm. uh, they're also fighting for Planned Parenthood to be publicly funded. And yeah. I am a taxpayer. Right. At another point. Exactly. And so and then you get the, you know, what about in cases of rape? What? And this is a classic because usually it's they don't really have an argument, but they know it's sort of like a, a difficult one. So, oh, but what do you do in situations of rape? And first of all, we just need to recognize that this is a a distraction because this is so rare, right, compared to the the, the bigger issue. But then don't d- avoid the issue. The issue is if someone rapes someone, then execute the rapist. Right. Right. That's Don't punish wants. the child for the sins <laughs> yes. of the father. Yes. Yeah. Is that in the Bible somewhere? And I, we can <laughs> root that in our, yeah. our you know moral standard that we actually have to point to. And that, you did a great job, at George Mason, in talking to that young man about that. But don't, innoc- don't execute an innocent bystander. Um, and that's what a baby is who is a product of rape. Go online and see all the testimony of real people living today who love their lives and who are product of rape. Go tell them that they should have just been murdered for being a, you know, allowed to have been murdered for being an innocent bystander in that whole ordeal. Rape doesn't yeah. justify murder. Yeah, it's okay. a whole, it's a red herring altogether because yep. if we are to believe the argument that these abortions are ne- necessary because there's so many instances of rape, then the statistics would obviously be through the roof. Absolutely. I'd, I'd like to yeah. see all the rapists, you know, all the numbers. That's what I, I would like I would to definitely see. go out on, the, on a limb and say those statistics are most likely inflated as well, yep. knowing that there are rape 
exceptions yes. on the law books. Mm-hmm. And all you actually have to do is check a little box. And I do not mm-hmm. want to minimize the horror right. of rape at all. Amen. I do not want to belittle that or minimize that at all. However, I do know that in many states, all you have to do is check a little box and the only person that's ever going to actually hold you to account to that is going to be the abortionist who wants your money and then ultimately right. God. Right. right. Yeah. So uh, just to round it out, how can you be pro-death penalty and pro-life? <laughs> You've heard this one before. Oh, I've had this one. Uh, I mean, simple. Right. I, what do you guys think? Well, let's put it to you. Take How, it, take it, doctor. Well, <laughs> I mean, you have to start with your presupposition. So clearly in God's law, we get to decide or we don't get to decide, but we get <laughs> to read rather what God's decision is as it pertains to life and death, because Amen. only he holds to the keys to that. Ultimately, right. um, the magistrate we know in Romans 13 is called to uphold justice, to uphold God's law. And so the reality is that's that is not in the realm of subjectivism. Yep. This is in the realm of objectivity yep. in God's law. So the death penalty, um, part of it's tied to the victim. In a, in a case of murder, the victim cannot speak. Right. There's no, what are the victim's rights? And uh, that's transferred to God. God is ultimately the victim here. Mm. Um, not, not in a, if we can use that language, but, but it's judiciously, or judicially, I should say, placed on God because right. that person's made in the image of God. Right, exactly. The destruction of the image of God is actually an affront to God himself because it yeah. is his image. It's being He's destroyed. the ultimate Primarily. court of appeals. Yep. So that's why that, that's where the crime goes to the, the Supreme Court, the real Supreme Court, the throne room of God. Right. Those who murder deserve the death penalty. Those who do not murder do not deserve the death penalty. Right. right? There's a very simple yes. uh, but extremely important distinction between mm-hmm. A, a victim and a criminal mm-hmm. and we have to treat those two mm-hmm. different categories mm-hmm. very differently right. on a very basic basic level and if right. you don't have a solid understanding of those very simple categories then mm-hmm. you're going to be mixed up on that yeah. question Un- yeah an unborn baby has not murdered anyone no nope. right? absolutely <laughs> so we're being perfectly consistent actually yeah uh, now this is one what about the life of the mother and this is Another instance where we take, again, a rare issue and use it to justify the continuance of a practice, broadly speaking. And really, it's not an issue at all because, not to say that the actual issue isn't an issue. Yes, this is an issue of of, uh, these sorts of things happening. But I want to read to you a statement from the American Association of of, uh, Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists. And uh, this is what they say, quote, Abortion is the purposeful killing of the unborn in the termination of a pregnancy. Uh, AAPLOG opposes abortion. When extreme medical emergencies that threaten the life of the mother arise, AAPLOG believes in treatment to save the mother's life, including premature delivery, if that is indicated, obviously with the patient's informed consent. This is not abortion to save the mother's life. We are treating two patients, the mother and the baby, and every reasonable attempt to save the baby's life would also be a part of our medical intervention. We acknowledge that in some instances, the baby would be too premature to survive, right? And so what we need to take from this there is a difference between trying to save a child from what would otherwise be an unavoidable death and actively attempting to murder a child. There is a massive difference between that. Engaging in a medical intervention to save a mother's life when there's a high chance or even an almost certain chance that this action might result in the death of a child is not an abortion. And some women have been tricked into thinking that they've had an abortion when they actually haven't had an abortion because of ectopic pregnancies or other such situations where an attempt was made to save the baby, deliver the baby uh, prematurely, but it didn't work out. And that's yeah. in some cases called right. an abortion. And so they think, oh, 
well, I have to be pro-choice now because if 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 I wasn't allowed to do that, then then you know, and, and they don't even have to. Right, and in certain feel that in way. certain places around the world and different cultures, they'll actually call, call miscarriages abortions. That's as well. right. So we want to be very clear when we're using mm-hmm. the term abortion, we're talking about mm-hmm. the willful t- termination right. of a pregnancy, not a. Um, uh, natural or an accidental termination yeah. of pregnancy yeah. through miscarriage, which is why we need God's law because God's law takes into consideration intent. Right. That's right. So exactly. that's a key facet. So I'm just going to wrap this up now. These arguments could go on forever. Yep. But I just want to point out the only reason that there's a controversy is because people have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And so they embrace all kinds of evil. And since it's not them dying, they feel free to sort of get cute with what are actually silly, stupid, foolish arguments that absolve them of having to accept the dark truth. And what is that dark truth? That is that we're living in a holocaust of the unborn in this nation with over 60 million baby corpses to show for it. And then at the same time, you know, pro-choicers want to argue, as we mentioned before, against rape, against murder, against systemic injustice, and rightfully so, right? And many times they even have great arguments. And But when they argue against evil, they show that they themselves are image bearers of God and exhibit God's desire for justice. But because they have no consistency, they lack credibility on, on these matters. And so this is exactly what the Bible has to say in Romans 1 and 2 about the condition of fallen man who is lost in absurd and foolish inconsistency. The Bible doesn't say that the ungodly never come to right conclusions about justice. The Bible says that the ungodly are wildly inconsistent. Some issues they'll get right, other issues they'll wildly miss the mark on. What does it say in Romans? For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And then verse 28. And since they did not see see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind Mm -hmm. to do what ought not to be done. And then continuing in chapter 2, 14, for when the nations, those who aren't Israel, who do not have the law by nature, do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, I have no doubt that there are some out there thinking, you know, Jordan, this is strong language. We're calling arguments stupid. You know, why are you calling arguments for abortion stupid? Why are you calling them evil? Well, guess what? It's time for strong language. It's time to not be, amb- uh, to not have ambiguity on this issue. I'm describing behavior. I'm not, you know, denigrating the image of God and man. I'm not forgetting the image of God stamped in all humanity. But on behalf of the unborn, we do need to remove the the mystique of pro-choice arguments, which are terrible and baseless. Mm -hmm. We need to expose them for what they are, utter foolishness. Talk to kids in public schools. Jason, you do this. Others do this in our church all the time. They're they're just regurgitating these lines that they've been given. And they're sort of robotically spewing them out, um, sloganeering, and all done to justify mass murder. So people, we're living in a holocaust. Uh, for too long, pro-lifers, we've been pandering, dithering, compromising, and all of that has gotten to the point where we're actually debating about whether it should be legal to kill an infant during delivery or only before the third trimester. So it's time for strong language. It's time to end the compromise. There is no room for neutrality on this issue. There is no room for apathy or complacency in the church or in politics or in healthcare or in anywhere else. 
There's no room for ambiguity or beating around the bush. It's time to stand uncompromisingly for justice and truth. We are not calling for a better regulated abortion industry. We are not calling for a series of reforms over the next four decades during which time scores of millions of babies will continue to die. That is what failure looks like. We're calling for immediate and total end of all abortion now. We're calling for local magistrates to defy unjust orders, not just resign their positions, but to stand in the gap and protect the unborn. We're, we're, uh, we're calling magistrates to defy the ruling of the Supreme Court and justices and to do their jobs, yes. which is to protect the slaughter of innocent human beings. Jesus Christ is Lord, and he requires you, civil magistrate, to put forth righteous decrees that do not fail to protect the weakest among us. And that means you, Republican delegates, legislators, governors, don't push bills of abortion regulation. Adopt bills of abolition of abortion in every locale or step down and get out of the way. Amen. Let a godly magistrate who isn't a coward take your place. Get the bills going through the legislative process and start building consensus. We must change the conversation from this late-term abortion obsession. I hope it brings attention to the issue, but if it stops there, it's an utter failure. Every day, regular Joe and Jill Christians, I'm talking to you now. This means you too. Find out the political process for passing a bill of total abolition where you live. This could mean, get, this could mean you need to get organizing, get knocking on doors, petitioning. If you need help getting started, contact us. We're working on getting things started here in Virginia. Get your pastor's help on it. If your pastor won't help, don't wait on him. Right. Um, now, everybody has a different calling in life. It may not be your specific calling to abolish abortion in this specific way. But if you have the means to do so, why wouldn't you? If you have the means and the abilities and the time to do so, what's stopping you mm -hmm. from doing that, right? So that's all. That's that's kind of my thing on on that whole thing. So man, <laughs> that's some fire, brother. Good word. <laughs> that's a sermon right there. All right. We'll put that out there. Time for a beer. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for listening. We are. Uh, so glad that you've joined us. We want to uh, let you know that we do have episodes coming out every Monday. You can find us on Facebook at Cross and Crown Radio. Give us a like. Share the episode if you want. Uh, do what you do on that. And thank you again for listening. Oh, and in your prayers and giving, please consider supporting Cross and Crown Church here in Northern Virginia. You can go to crosscrownchurch.com slash give. You can find out more there on the website as well. So, hey, that's it. All right, we'll see you next Praise time. God. Hypocrisy of your festivals. I hate all your show. Away with your noisy worship. Away with your noisy hymns. I'll stop up my ears when you're singing them. I hate all your show. Instead, let there be a flood of justice. Procession of righteous living, living instead. Let there be a flood of justice instead of a show.